0: Welcome to Packet Pushers. This is the Priority Q show where we dive deep on some nerdy things, and today we're going to get into uh, a bit of an open flow discussion, a bit of SDN, and a bit of bringing more control to your network with our sponsor today, Sonus Networks, as we discuss the Velos product. Uh, I am Ethan Banks, and with me as usual is Mr. Greg Farrow. And then let's move right into introducing our guests. And first up is Dan. Dan uh, Malik, would you introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience?
1: Hi, yes, I'm Dan. I'm an engineering fellow here at Sonus, part of the um, uh, CTO group, and I'm responsible for the the Velos product. Thank
0: you for coming on board, Dan, and we've heard your voice before, and it's nice to hear it again. Also joining us from Sonus is Carl May. Hello, this is uh, Carl May. Thanks for the introduction. I'm
2: actually the uh, business unit vice president, or the Velos business unit vice president at Sonus Networks, and Dan and I were the co-founders of Trek Labs and the Velos Systems business that came before this that begat the platform that we're talking about today.
0: Uh, Vice President, it sounds very official. I mean, is there a suit involved? Do you wear a power tie, Carl? <laughs> I, you know what? <laughs> I do, uh, but I didn't for you today. And, and I'm I really
2: now I'm, I'm really regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so let's jump right in with a, uh, a kind of a high-level overview of what Velos is all about. I mean, I'm thinking about SDN and maybe OpenFlow and bringing some more interesting controls into my network. If I'm a Velos customer, w- what am I actually buying? What does the architecture look like? Uh, Carl, you want to lead off with that?
2: So, what we sell is a networking platform that gives our customers the ability to program a network that is customized for their environment. It's fully programmable application or service aware network is really what results once they've deployed this. And that's at a, at a high level, that's really what our aim was.
0: Suit, power tie, and, and I think you just rode in on a unicorn. That all sounded a little <laughs> bit magical. So we, you get full programmability and a lot of capabilities. And so we, we want to dive into that uh, you know, a, a little bit
3: more. You know, Greg, were you going to uh, comment too? Okay, so what we wanted to do today was talk about three use cases about how Sonos and the Velos operating system that Sonos runs in, about how it changes the way you look at the network. And we're going to have th- go over three use cases and then look at the technology aspect of it in terms of the business problem that we're actually solving. So, Carl, first of all, we want to talk a little bit about how Velos changes the enterprise when. So, Tell me, I've got an enterprise WAN, I've got branch sites everywhere, I've probably got MPLS at E1 and T1, we all know what it works at, but it costs a lot of money, how do I solve changing that to meet the business needs better?
2: That actually was the anchor use case for Velos when we first launched the product about three and a half years ago. It was with some very, very large international companies. And their big challenge was they operated in, you know, nationally and internationally. They had lots of sites. They were paying boatloads of money to incumbent carriers to provide supposedly very, very high-resiliency Uh, Connectivity between those sites, uh, essentially, to form uh, as a managed service their corporate WAN. The the first use case we were brought in for was to provide essentially the backup network. You know, let's let's go test this. Let's provide a backup network. Let's go install at those same endpoints. We're we're going to go instead of paying high dollars per bit for the connectivity. Let's go find the lowest cost transport. That could have been a, a carrier Ethernet connection, maybe even a DSL connection. It could be a you know it could be fiber, it could be anything. And then use Velos and standard low cost switches at the edges to steer and control the traffic in between those various sites as a backup to their primary network. Yeah. Now the learned- reason
3: I don't do that today is because I have a I've got a one carrier who provides all my connections and because I feed my OSPF routes into their edge router and I have to peer with just one carrier because the routes don't work if I have multiple carriers underneath, right? That's certainly the conventional problem that uh, – yeah.
2: well, I think at least in, in in a couple of the use cases that I'm thinking of, they you're right. They do – they have they, – they split their business between two major carriers – but it's either one or the other depending on on the particular location.
3: Yeah, you don't normally have the ability to have multiple services from multiple carriers because you always have to be connected to the the carrier's MPLS backbone because you need to carry your OSPF routes back to the core or because you want to have a guaranteed service level and you need a guaranteed service level, you can only have one carrier to do that. And maybe you've got a backup, but it's actually dead most of the time and it's just wasted money when you're not using it.
2: That's correct. I mean, what we provided in the in the case for you know for these enterprise customers, that enterprise win, is we provided them with by stripping away all the conventional routing protocols. We we stripped all of that away. We provide them with their own you know, essentially a policy based protocol. Platform. That's essentially what we gave them. They then defined the behavior that they were looking for. Okay, if they have a failure in their primary network, how do they want now the, the mm-hmm. various applications that are distributed throughout their environment? They have a software development group. They have a production and network. And there's a bunch of different networks that they interconnect. What they used us for initially for that development network and as the backup to their primary MPLS network. And what we learned very quickly during what became known on the east coast as superstorm Sandy, a major hurricane that came up the east coast, is that strangely enough in in a couple of our customer instances the backup network that had been built on Velos was in fact more resilient and actually more durable and became the primary platform for running their production traffic during the storm and uh, and ultimately we discovered very much by accident i mean this wasn't wasn't how we had initially intended it to play out But we had customers who then started flipping around, migrating their traffic and their applications to the Velos network using off-the-shelf standard switches and our software as their primary network now. And decommissioning more and more of the ports on their CPE and provider edge router and essentially shutting down more and more of their conventional MPLS services and using us now as both their primary and their backup to interconnect these various sites.
3: Okay, so let me understand a couple of things here, right? You said that you could just use any hardware, like I'm independent of the hardware, I don't have to go and buy a special box to make this happen at the edge of the network? We address
2: it today. The the hardware that we interwork with today is, is OpenFlow compatible hardware. So there are now... As we're discovering, as we're working around the world, there are probably twenty or thirty vendors that are building hardware from very, very low cost, low end, small port boxes up to very, very big boxes. I saw one in China last week that that looks like a, you know, a high end Cisco uh, Cisco router with several hundred ports that is all OpenFlow compatible. So that for us is really just a patch panel. So you plug into that. That's that's the hardware. So you plug
3: the control. Ethernet. So so I've got a branch. I've got an Ethernet switch. Then there's a box running the Velos software. That box right. is one of it's many possible hardwares. It's a white box, white brand. The Velos software actually runs
2: on an x86 server. It does not run right. as yes. a client piece that can run on a on a switch, but you know, all the intelligence in our product, yes. the topology discovery, the switch connection manager, the path computation engine, the analytics, all of that intelligence runs on servers that are essentially connected into their own network that constitutes the control plane.
3: So let me try and see and make sure I've got this correct in my head. I've got a an Ethernet switch at the end of my network. It's running an operating system, and it's receiving flow configurations from the Velos controller platform.
2: That is correct. I think maybe Dan can dig
1: in a little bit more to provide a little more detail on that. Yes, that's the basic idea. It's a logically centralized control to the network devices that then do the Proper forwarding is programmed.
3: So it has the holistic system view, so the Velos controller sees all parts in the network, and because of that, it can compute, what, like an OSPF table that computes all paths in the network?
1: We have a path computation algorithm that works in conjunction with the topology discovery, so we know how the devices are interconnected, and when someone needs a path from one end to another... We will compute that and install it along the devices appropriately. The, the important difference is that we only compute what's necessary at the time of the event. So it isn't like we're constantly computing everything all the time in the network if anything changes. We only have to address the few things that are necessary when something changes.
3: So, Carl, you said before that Velos was able to run better. Uh, than the other networks that people were running, how do, how was it able to do that? Was it doing something special to the traffic flow? Was it just more stable, able to route around the challenges? How did it do that?
2: I think actually, you know, when I, when I look at the data we got from the customer, it was not so much that we were better, I guess, as as it was that the existing MPLS networks they were operating were less reliable, at least in reconverging. So when they had link outages, and so during the storm, you know, I'm not going to disclose who the who the major mm-hmm. carrier was, but they had major link outages. You know, what they discovered is that it was taking hours and hours rather than minutes or seconds for the OSPF to reconverge and essentially to bring the endpoints back up online so that their remote, you know, their northeast and their west coast and middle of the mm-hmm. country sites could be communicating with each other. Yet they found that the little backup network that they had deployed was actually responding in a very deterministic way. You know, in a matter of milliseconds, we were recomputing paths in a very deterministic time frame and let's say in the in the, you know small you know single digit uh, Oh, you're saying
3: because from. the network was flapping around right as saying yeah, as the, exactly. the natural disaster happened the network would come up it would come down it would flop it would flap i can imagine my legacy or my conventional layer three routing engines you know that would be would take sec- 10 seconds 30 seconds 60 seconds to stabilize when an interface flapped is that what you're about talking about
2: that's absolutely correct. Uh, although it wasn't ten or thirty or whatever number of seconds you were talking yeah. about, it was. It was actually in in many cases it was uh, many minute, minutes. And in one case, if I recall correctly, actually that's not true. I think it was cumulatively. It was. It was in the you know a couple numbers of hours that they uh, of outage of, of reconvergence outage time cumulative outage time that they had.
3: Right. But that was as the network flapped, so it would as a The flap, primary exactly, network would yes. go down the Bellos network would come up, it would stay up much longer and be much more stable, it had the paths all computed and ready to go. And the resiliency was a lot higher than the traditional, you know, 99.99% MPLS circuit that you're paying big dollars.
2: That's exactly right. They could actually procure a variety of different low-cost transport options. And then we were providing that, frankly, as Dan likes to say, it provided us with many more options to compute different routes or different paths over those various transports Mm -hmm. uh, between the various endpoints. And that, that actually is our flexibility. But you're right. The difference between having a single view of the network, a single graph, which allows us to make very, very fast decisions, in particular if there are failures at points along the way, is what provides us with what what our customers see as a resiliency advantage.
3: If I'm thinking about this, one of the challenges that we have with conventional networking is that we can't always choose the cheapest possible transport to interconnect sites, right? Because I have to have the services that only come from one carrier because I might be sending OSPF routes into their MPLS edge. And so now everything that I buy has to be connected to the MPLS core of that carrier. Does this give me so using Velos it sounds like gives me more options for choosing transport mechanisms I don't, I'm not stuck with one vendor or even one technology
2: again I, you know we've learned over the last few years that what in many ways our customers have used us for is is essentially to give them greater variety mm. and that's that's really a key value proposition <laughs> again we're talking here mostly about enterprise customers the so enterprise customers that are building and managing yeah. and maintaining okay. their own corporate WAN network either nationally or internationally
3: this means I can start bringing into the mix things like dark fiber, DSL, four G. You're able to actually compute all of those paths and calculate them out in different ways, so that I can just use whatever's right for the site that I'm at. That's correct. And topology restrictions. Sometimes inside of MPLS, I'm stuck with. I have to have my network in a hub spoke from here to here and things like that. Does Velos change the way that works?
1: It does very much so because of the topology discovery we have. You connect. The devices in whatever way is appropriate, if you need more bandwidth or you need certain resiliency or certain paths. You know, we know about all the possible paths. We have no problem with loops in the network. We understand how everything is connected. We ensure that doesn't happen. You just plug in what you need where you need it, and uh, we discover it, and take advantage of it.
3: So your controller then knows it as part of the topology and then can just start to calculate paths through the network that aren't necessarily the shortest point between two paths?
1: They don't have to be the shortest point. We have a variety of attributes in the path computation that determine how they're chosen, cost, importance, bandwidth, distance, things like that.
3: What about sending applications one way? So, for example, I might have a short path, but expensive, and I want to send you know, something, my mainframe traffic, I don't know I don't know why I said mainframe, but I did mainframe <laughs> traffic down that. And then over here is a, is a long path, which is cheap, but it's got a high latency. So maybe I send my email down there because who cares if it takes 60 seconds longer for an email to get from point A to B. That
1: too? Absolutely. As long as we can identify the traffic, we can uh, send it whichever way is chosen.
3: Okay. So to wrap up that use case, in the enterprise, you've got an enterprise WAN, cost you a lot of money. You don't really have a lot of flexibility or control over the network in terms of there's only one way out of the network. You've got a best and only path, right? You got can't really slice the network up to meet business needs. So I can't really say this bandwidth for this, this bandwidth for that. And that's the two sort of things that you get out of using Velos in your network today. So what I want to do is move on to looking at the second use case that we're going to present today, which is where international carriers are peering between each other. Carl, why don't you kick off with a bit of a description of what your customers are doing for international peering for private VPNs?
2: We've got a couple of major customers that are deploying for this particular use case right now. And what their challenge was is this is mostly non US, these are overseas carriers that, again, were managing, they were perhaps the vendor to that enterprise, <laughs> the enterprise in the first use case we discussed, but yeah. they're providing that network, but they're also providing peering. To international carriers because their enterprise customers have international operations, and so in order to provide a one global network for a client, they're peering then with uh, you know if it's in Asia they might be peering with a European or a North American or a Latin American carrier, and one of the things that we've encountered now is that they they would like again to have better control. They essentially want a little a mole, if you will. That was exactly mm-hmm. the way the one customer described it. They want a mole to be able to place it alongside um, their CPE at the, at the peering point of their counterparty and be able to provide better, more deterministic control for different types of services. They run different types of private networks, and they wanted to be able to distinguish between those at the peering points. And so that was really the use case that came up.
3: So I've got carrier to, what's normally called a carrier-to-carrier interconnect. I'm probably running some sort of VPN over the top. It's usually an MPLS. Most carriers might be running an MPLS carrier-to-carrier, but actually they don't. They normally just run static IP routing between the two. And I'm hearing you say that they wanted to have better control over how the VPN traffic or the, the private WAN traffic between two carriers was actually controlled at the interconnect points, and they're deploying your software to control those flows. What's the problem that they're actually solving there?
2: The problem that they're solving is that on their side. Uh, in, in, in the one case, they have complete control over one network. They have a sister organization that has another one. But the way they've split up their customer ownership, they do not have the ability to control... You know, essentially, what, what they wanted is they, they wanted to be able to distinguish how their client's were directed to various peers. And it came down to the intermediate network that was split up between their carriers. So it was a little bit more of, a, of an organizational challenge that they were facing. Oh, I think um,
3: So what you're saying is that inside of their each respective backbone, they had full control and full visibility. That's but right. As soon yes. as it got into the, the interconnect network between the two, everything just got lost. There was no quality of service. There was no visibility. Exactly. Data right. was lost.
2: Right. But they, what they wanted, actually, the, the term that they used was they wanted data plane inserts. That's that's the that was the term <laughs> we used. They wanted data plane inserts. They wanted to have essentially their own alternative network quads that they could control between their network, their internal in-house rival network, and then how traffic was routed to those carriers that were taking the traffic to Europe or some other part of or North America or Latin America, wherever it might be.
3: So, Dan, I want to ask you about the technology that goes into that, right? Right. I have a switch in there and I have the controller controlling the flows. How does it deliver these functions that these customers want?
1: It depends a little bit on how they architect their network, but there are a variety of ways we can do it. Some of it is done with bandwidth control. We use things like metering and queuing to give them a level of bandwidth control and importance on the data that they want to go over particular directions. And then, of course, we will match the appropriate data METER IT, CONTROL IT, SEND IT OUT THE APPROPRIATE PATH, YOU KNOW, ONE NETWORK OR ANOTHER, Uh, depending on what they want. So those are basically the things that we do there.
3: So two things there. One is you're doing bandwidth control for a defined set of flows between two networks or a given VPN service. And then the second one was you're actually then selecting which path it's going to take. So you can say, came in on this interface, go out on that interface. But you're not using a routing protocol there. You're programming that from the controller platform.
2: We're really programming it from the policy established by our customer, right? That's what makes the decision.
3: And that policy, I think, is pretty important because you're not actually trying to like, arcanely bang away at a command line and say, if I inject this route policy and have a, a route map on this, in, you're actually just in a controller with a graphical interface making rules that the Velos platform then delivers to the actual unit on the ground.
1: There's that, or what what actually a lot of them do is they take advantage of some automation where they know what kind of traffic is flowing during the day or they want to make changes and they'll integrate that with some automation they have uh, directly to the APIs of the control platform.
3: Okay, so now I've got bandwidth control. I've got two carrier networks, one on each side. I'm exchanging data between the two, but I lose a certain amount of control. Normally it's just IP routing and then the best I'm going to have for bandwidth control is maybe using legacy routers or conventional routers is some sort of traffic shaping but Velos is now giving me a graphical console which then allows me to have external APIs to manage the data I've got bandwidth management and I've also got the pathing stuff, so I can actually do it. And you're saying, time of day, I can change it according to various other rules, so it's even it's dynamically able to do that. Is that fair? Absolutely. Let's go on to our third and final use case that I wanted to talk about today, and that's where we started talking about data center interconnects for a co-location company. So, Carl, again, kick us off with a description of what, uh, what this company's doing.
2: Right, so we actually have, uh, this has probably become our, our largest growth market for us right now, obviously with the emergence of of cloud architectures the public cloud of google or amazon you've got all these other entities that own real estate and they want to they're they're helping to put uh, reduce the cost of it by providing colo uh, sites or, or, or hosting sites, but what's been missing historically from the business model is the network. They've always operated from this n- notion of, hey, we're carrier neutral, um, we sell you space and power, you bring your network, you bring your servers, you bring your disks and everything else, and and you just send us a check once a month for the space and power. Uh, what they're realizing, of course, is that the competitive environment is changing very quickly, and so that some of those carriers are no longer while well, well, they love the carrier neutrality, of the data center operators, they're now beginning to create their own competitive offering And so what's happened is that there's a lot of investment right now among the data center operators to build what I call their own driveways, their their own, (laughs) they're they're building their own driveways, their own sidewalks into the data centers. And again, they don't want to do, they've got an opportunity to wipe the slate clean, not provide traditional circuit connectivity with a multi-year agreement, but they can afford to say, hey, we'll provide you with this on-demand network. We've got campus sites in, in various locations around the world. You go put your servers wherever you want, and we're going to let you look at that one network. All of those sites are going to look to you as one network, Mr. Mm-hmm. Client. And yeah, yeah. we're going to provide a single view to you. And by the way, we're going to give you a different, in not our old school cross-connect model of charging you a fortune every month. We're only going to have you pay for what you need when you need it. And that's really the third use case driver.
3: So I've got this vision of a company that's probably got you know, a few data centers that it's own. It's a colo facility and customers are saying to them, I want to do data center interconnection one way or the other. So I've got a, a bunch of servers, I've got ten racks in data center A, ten racks in data center B. And of course by the time you come back to buy another ten racks, data center A and B are full. So now That's I have a connection in data center C, right? That's roughly the model.
2: Or even inside of data center A, where I might have had contiguous racks in row thirteen. Now I'm my next three racks are in row. 20. 27 and so I've also got you know some sort of cross connector interconnect that I've got in, in order to connect to those so it, yes there are there are a couple different variations but I think you, you at, a, at a high level you have the problem statement down
3: okay so now I'm talking about high bandwidth applications here 10 gigs 40 gigs. It's really high speed. So, the problem that I think I'm going to have when I try and connect these things, if I was to do them myself, is A, I'm going to pay a lot of money for bandwidth. I'm probably going to put some DWDM gear on the end of it. And then I'm going to have some big conventional routing engines on there. I'm thinking a lot of money. That's right.
2: You are talking about a, a lot of money. And what our data center operator customers are saying is they can consume, they, they can essentially put the foundation in for those high bandwidth interconnects. On their own, because they can now share those across a large number of tenants, uh, therefore reducing the costs to their own customers. So they can provide essentially a, a shared infrastructure that their customers then can now use Velos. I mean, so we're managing the tenancy and the and allowing them to carve up that huge amount of bandwidth from a very very small segments of bandwidth. We, we've had a customer that sold in as little increments as sixteen kilobits, but. You know, more typically it's in the megabits <laughs> up to the gigabits.
3: That sounds a little wrong in the way, 16 kilobits. Uh, yeah. I,
2: you know, it's not my job to tell customers what their business yeah. model should be uh, <laughs> yeah. to sell yeah. 16 kilobits for a minute. But, but yeah. one customer did, in fact, implement that. But it's typically in the... 10, you know the megabits to the to the gigabits, uh, mm-hmm. but again, it's it's providing that particular network uh, on demand, uh, recognizing that there are different requirements for different types of applications. You know, for that that overnight database backup. Look, all you care about is that you're able to uh, provide the backup that it happens, you know, in a six-hour window. How, how exactly it happens, you know, they want the reliability, the, the assurance that it happens. That they they, they want to pay as little money for it as possible. Whereas for a, you know, for a high-performance, high-bandwidth application, they absolutely want to make sure that they've got the lowest latency, proper bandwidth associated with a trading application or or some other, um, you know, web web front end, web portal front end.
3: Couple of things I heard there. One is multi-tenancy. So you have the ability to be able to do with the multi-tenancy option. If I have a colo, obviously I'm going to have hundreds of customers inside of my data center facilities, and I need to be able to guarantee that their data can't, you know, cross the boundaries or cross the streams. If you like, the Velos solution does that because of its flow control of those of that. Um, of the switches in the network, of the devices in the network. Yes, that's
1: correct. Let me geek out for a minute here. So this is one of the things where I, I find what we do very interesting. And I'm going to, in addition to some of the bandwidth control that we talked about earlier... Which we do in these cases to ensure that when these companies sell services to their customers and they guarantee a certain level of bandwidth to them, we, we do that. that. That's one part of it. But the other interesting thing about multi-tenancy and co-location and data center interconnects, you have to keep the data separated, and you have to ensure it's finding the right point in the network. Mm. Now, here's okay. So here's the geek part. So. I'm going to talk about a separation of policy and mechanism. And it comes down to tagging of data, either VLAN or MPLS tagging. So, the mechanism of tagging is very cool and works very well, but the policies that often use it aren't necessarily the most useful. So, our dynamic path networking takes advantage of these tagging mechanisms in very novel ways. It's like, yes, there are standards that exist, but If you do things like stack three, four VLAN tags or use MPLS tags in a different way, you can keep track of data in a network very efficiently. And so these are some of the things that we do in these cases. And and in other cases, we have clients at the edges like a a branch office or something that will say, I want this subnet to to map to some cloud facility uh, service. But Mm. that cloud facility service only understands that client from a particular VLAN tag stack. So as the data moves through our network, we map their subnet on one side to VLAN tags on the other and then strip them off on the way back. So the client side just thinks, well, I'm talking to a subnet. Mm. Whereas on the cloud side, they're talking to a particular VLAN, for example. So those are the kind of services we provide for these data center interconnects in so, very novel ways. <laughs>
3: I'm just thinking about that because normally what we do say in an MPLS environment is we require LDP to propagate the tags, definitions all the way across the network. And so that as a, as an IP frame moves across an MPLS backbone, the tag gets changed at every hop because that's how mm-hmm. it works, right? But there's no reason, and effectively, those tags actually define a circuit. From this point to that point, this is the tag path between those two points in the network. What you're telling me is that you're fundamentally using the MPLS tag as a tag, and you match that against some arbitrary policy from your controller? Am I fairly correct Yeah, that's that? exactly
1: right. Mm. or or if it has to match something at the edge appropriately, you know, we can change a tag from yeah. one one side to the other depending on how the data the data center interconnect is supposed to function. So we'll Sorry, use it I've in a variety of ways.
3: Right, so I, now a second thing that just struck me now, so maybe at the edge of my um, co-location network, the only thing I've got is VLAN tags. You're still saying you could use... Q&Q VLAN tags or or just VLAN tags and use them as arbitrary markers between two endpoints so that you know that this is a circuit belonging to this customer, not that customer.
1: Exactly. Uh, Q&Q is a single, very specific way of using stacked VLAN tags. Yeah. And most of the devices in the network are much more flexible than that, and so we take advantage of that. We'll use different, multi, more than two tags. We'll use different TPIDs. We'll use whatever is necessary, basically as an identifier for the data.
3: But I don't need to know
1: about these things. This you is don't need I... to know about any of that. Yeah. We take care of all of that.
3: But the main thing that I'm hearing is that I don't need to, I can run this over any intermediate, bandwidth between the two data center interconnects. So if I've got a DWDM, I've got end-to-end bandwidth, maybe I'm running something over dark fiber with 40 gigabit per second interfaces, maybe over here I'm running a 10 gigabit MPLS circuit. Your platform's able to understand all of those and make the whole thing come together as a single piece of bandwidth.
1: Right. That's also one of the things that we do is is we look at the network as one large global space. We don't distinguish between LAN and WAN and different types of interconnects and, and technologies. To us, we control it, we use what's there, we understand what's there, and we connect things the way people are making the request.
3: Now, I know a little bit about controller-based networking and flow-based networking. The, the, the fun part about this is I could actually do this on demand because... I want to be able to provision the co-location bandwidth from a a web page. My customer should be able to come into my data center, put their stuff in, here's my co-location, I've got some sort of platform with a web interface on it, and the customer should be able to order bandwidth and dial it up and dial it down as they need. You're able to do that too?
1: Yes, we have customers that do that very successfully, and customers of ours are the you know data center customers, and then to their clients, I've heard that they have people that change their bandwidth uh, daily to control their costs, uh, and then they also change it quarterly when they have a large amount of data that they need to exchange between, say, branch offices for you know other their their planning or accounting or whatever they're doing on a quarterly basis. So that your
3: platform sets up that capability. It doesn't necessarily do it for you, or does I'd have to write a gateway or something like that to go with it, but the platform's able to the, do that?
1: The, the customers we currently have already have some client-facing piece of software that, that they use, and so we just integrate with that at our API so they make all the billing decisions and they do all the interaction with the customer, and then when they decide it's appropriate for a customer to have a particular path in the network, they inform us of what that path is and the attributes are, and we set it up.
3: Okay, I've got just some generalized questions that I want to just ask that sort of, that didn't fit into any of the uses, but what I want to do is ask some things. Now, the first question is, let's say I build an island of Velos functionality, that is, I build a test lab, Can I connect my legacy network to this Velos network? Can I have both my legacy network and my Velos network together, Dan?
1: Sure, absolutely. You know, the best thing to do is what are you trying to accomplish with that? And then, but of course you could connect it, we'll pass data through it, we'll process it in in a variety of ways. That's actually a typical way people start.
3: Scale. How many devices can I handle in a in a Velos system? Into it.
1: Uh, well, we haven't found a limit yet. We test up okay. into the thousands. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, our
2: typical test cases have been on the thousands of devices. So you know
0: that's that means thousands of devices that are known to your controller and that you can be programming a path through and interact with, etc. Yes. Okay. yes. Yes.
1: Yes. And and it comes back to the the path computation that we do, you know, there isn't any need to ever consider the the network, the huge network as a whole. You know, we know specifically what's going on in the network, what paths are affected, uh, what devices need to be programmed. And so everything is done at a fairly small scale, even in a huge, large network. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why things scale very well.
3: I've got WAN routers in my network today. Do I have to replace them to get started or can I just... Put this, you know, We talked earlier about having a low-cost uh, box that goes into my network. It doesn't necessarily replace my routers. It can be put in the path. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly correct. Normally, we put them in there. We start out by doing things like some traffic shaping or you know, quality of service functions. And then uh, the next thing customers usually do is they start uh, using those as points of connection for uh, resilient links or alternate links between their sites.
0: Question about IPv6. You deal with a lot of service providers. I'm assuming that is a requirement many of them have. Uh, How does Velos deal with that?
1: We're all set up for IPv6. We can do a variety of things with it, Uh, just use it straight out, depending on if you want to do v4 and v6 or vice versa, tunneling functions. Uh, There are certain network devices that are required to do that. Not all of them support it. Uh, one of the things with IPv6 is because of the larger space of the network addressing, it often reduces the amount of available resources in a particular device. So that's something that does affect not necessarily the scaling, but the number of devices you might need in the network to uh, process that.
0: When you start dealing with thousands of routes, you mean you're talking about the whether it's TCAM or some other resource uh, within the silicon? you just got a much larger address space. Do you talk about those resources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Multicast. Do you have much call for multicast these days? And uh, if so, how does Valus deal with that?
1: We have very little call for multicast. It does come up. We can handle multicast applications. We do some IGMP snooping to keep track of what people are doing, trying to do with multicast. And as long as it's, uh, you know, within the same domain, we allow the, uh, you know, the point to multipoint capability that's needed in a multicast environment.
0: And then we, we know you've got an API and that's how interaction is being done. Uh are there third party integrations that have stepped in where uh, other companies have wanted to integrate tightly with Velos?
2: Yes, I mean, I think we addressed that um, on a on a previous previous podcast, but there are third party applications that we've you know we've begun to work with we 've even had customers that have have driven that some large large service providers that have that have driven tighter integration between their billing system. Uh, and and Velos directly that that actually was that's another use case and since Greg only allows three per podcast I can't really bring it up but <laughs> but uh, but you know the it's the holy trinity thing yeah so on uh, the previous
0: but, podcast we were talking about Skype for business so I think Skype that's what's right. yeah
2: that's that's right that's that's one example but you know if I look at 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 real live customer use cases where where we solved a, a pretty dramatic problem that the customer actually. Uh, did his own billing system, and this is a major, big-name billing system integration. Now that sort of led to now a closer, um, you know, our, our collaborating with that particular entity that particular company.
3: Okay, well, I think that's about all we have time for for this week. Thanks for listening to the Packet Pushers. Uh, if you'd like more information about today's show, you can head over to packetpushers.net. We'll have some show notes, uh, some topics and some links on where you can get more information about Sonos and in particular doing dynamic path networking with Velos, the uh, software operating system. Uh, one of the things that you do want to note about this solution, uh, it's just I'm not sure we brought it out in the show today, is that Velos is an operating system that programs flow-capable devices in your network. They're mostly open flow related. So that means that as long as you've got those devices and they that you can buy them from wherever you like um, and you're talking about that making that choice means you're talking about cost reductions in terms of assets. But getting the same flex much greater or same or much greater and everything we talked about today it hints at much greater flexibility and bandwidth programmability and path flexibility than you're getting with your conventional networking gear that you use today. So first of all, uh, thanks to Carl May uh, from Velos for joining us today. Carl, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Uh, At sonusnet.com S-O-N-U-S-N-E-T.com
3: Fantastic. And Dan, thanks for coming back again today. Can people find you anywhere special on
1: the internet? Uh, Nowhere special. Email works best and um, sometimes you can find me hanging out on um, IRC.
3: Oh, okay. I must make a point of getting over there. Mr. Banks, any closing thoughts before we wrap this one? Uh,
0: Just a quick one. Uh, One of the things uh, about SDN that's become very apparent to me in the last couple of years, uh, particularly, it is use case driven. In other words, you have some problem that traditional networking doesn't solve for you. SDN steps in and uh, takes those corner cases or, or adds functionality to your network that it didn't have before. It it isn't necessarily a wholesale replacement of everything, throw it all out and put in something new. A lot of times there are very specific things that customers want to do and uh, an SDN steps in and gets that done. And a lot of what we talked about today, I think echoes that theme.
3: Well, thanks for listening, and we should be back again in a week or so. We'd love to hear your feedback about today's show, so send an email to packerpushes at gmail.com and let us know what you're thinking. Alternatively, you can check out the podcast website at packapushes.net, leave comments, and if you've got comments for Sonus, don't hesitate to drop them in there and we'll forward them over. There are otherwise other ways to get in contact with Sonus, just visit their website at sonusnet.com and you can also follow the Packer Pushes on Twitter and a range of other fine social media institutions. And as always, remember that, too much networking would never be enough.